Hey, everybody. I like the music. I'm currently thinking about if I could choose my perfect sermon preaching walk-up music like they do, or they used to do at baseball, what would it be? And I, I've got nothing right now. Um, that's all right. Uh, hey, uh, last week, like Brad said, we kicked off a brand new series. We actually kicked it off on Good Friday. Uh, so, we're so grateful for how many people showed up on Good Friday. We were, I was told that it was one of the largest Good Fridays in like a decade or two here at Heartland, which is really encouraging because it just shows that people are taking Jesus and his life and his death seriously and making space in their lives for it. And so that was just an incredible, incredible moment for us. And then we continued it uh, on Easter Sunday. And you're like, we didn't realize that a new thing was started. Can you tell us what the new thing is? And I'd love to just take a second here at the beginning of this to just flesh this out for us. Um, we, we're looking at the teachings of Jesus from the gospel of Luke. And numerous times, uh, Jesus gives perspective. He gives depth. He gives nuance. He gives shades of meaning to what's good in the good life. And, and I hope in the months of April and May to unpack many of these moments where Jesus talks about what's good and, and someone asks him what's good so that we can understand what's good in the life that Jesus offers. Um, our lead team has uh, designed this series to be a one-two kind of punch of Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. If you want the full Good Life experience, um, we have a brand new uh, environment that we're creating on Wednesday evenings called the Good Life Continued. And this will be Wednesday evenings uh, for an hour and a half um, over, over uh, in the, 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 the part of our building, kind of that way. Uh, what, I don't, I don't, what's that called over there? It's where the um, freezers of the Sam's Club used to be. So that's uh, <laughs> over there. Um, these are conversations around faith for people, both people who are exploring faith for the first time, as well as people who just want to go deeper in their own faith. Um, what, what we found out here, uh, Brad and myself, Craig, we've all been talking about this, is that so many people tell us they struggle to live the life their heart longs for, but they know Jesus offers. And that's why we've created a very simple training environment to equip you with maybe a new perspective and pair you with maybe some new friends to help you walk this journey of the good life together. So that's where we're going over the course of the next few weeks. Here's a question I have for you. Um, think about your life. Do you have any friends or family members who are very difficult to shop for? Do you have anyone in your life who has everything already and you never know what's, what do you, what do you get the person who has everything already? You got that person in your mind? I've got one or two of these people in my own life that, you know, I, I get them the shirt, the tie, the, you know, I, just, I never know what to get them for. I saw on Amazon the other day, literally, if you Google what to get the grandma who has everything, um, you can, this is what comes, I don't have a picture of this. You can find it out later, but you, you'll literally be brought to an ad for an exploding box of butterflies. These are mechanical butterflies that are all held captive inside of this box until poor unsuspecting grandma opens it up and gets hit in the face with just an explosion of butterflies. Here's, I, here's how you know you have a good life. If you ever wanted to know, here's, here's, here's how you know. Have your kids, it's very simple. Have your kids ever given you a box of exploding butterflies? If the answer to that is yes, you've made it. Congratulations. We um, all have a vision of how we want our good lives to be. Six weeks ago, a national survey reported that our county right here in this part of Kansas is one of the top five happiest places 
in the country. Did you know that? Uh, top five happiest places in the country. Now, here's what I want to know. How many people believe that? <laughs> yeah, there's a reason that not all of us were like, you know, doing the giddy Pleasantville thing. It's because we're a little suspicious of that. We know that we live in a nice place. We know that we live in a good place. But is this one of the best places? If we were thinking about what it is to be living the good life, many of us would think about living in a really great place, but we'd also think about more than that. We would think about maybe um, season tickets to your favorite team or, or memberships at the right country club. When you get the highest degree in your field, that is possible. Or if you're able to enroll your kids in the right school district. A lot of us have dreams and aspirations about the good life that seem to have, at the end of it, another good thing that needs to be accomplished. Despite all that we have going for us here today, isn't it true that we live with a nagging feeling that good could become, uh, this is the wrong word, but gooder. <laughs> Don't you think good could be a little gooder here? And how good of a life is good enough. And I feel that deep inside of me. I, I wonder if you feel that deep inside of you, that there's always another rung on the ladder, another relationship that might be out there, another region for your business to expand into, another reason for you to get out of bed in the morning. With all of our relative success, few of us here would claim that our lives are actually at the apex of good. And that's why I want to bring us to Luke chapter 18 this morning, because Jesus meets a man who might have lived right in our own neighborhood. This man was a card-carrying good lifer. He was a church-going, business professional, respected in Kansas City, I mean Jerusalem. He had the opportunity to ask Jesus this question. He asked him one of the most fundamental questions, the most basic questions. If you're exploring faith, this is like key, key, key question. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I resonate with this guy's question. This question tells us a lot about the type of guy that this man actually was. He was um, a bottom line kind of guy. He, he was a man of action and of goals. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And this man asked Jesus a very personal question and Jesus responds in a bit of a tug-of-war match, he actually says, I don't want to put the focus on you right now because I'm Jesus. I want the focus on me. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus re replies to him, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good. <laughs> Take it on its own. That's a hard statement in and of itself. Get ready. Today's a lot of confusion and a lot of challenge. No one is good except God. Alone. Now, Jesus is actually trying to, to shape, shape this man's thinking about who Jesus is. Last week, uh, if you were here for Easter, we talked about how the key to understanding the Bible, Jesus uh, unfolded the entire scriptures to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. He said the key is understanding the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. And so we're going to take that same approach. We understand that why Jesus says that thing about no one is good except for the Father. Why do you call me good? Jesus is trying to tee him up to say, follow your own logic. If no one is good except God, and I'm good, then I'm God. That's Jesus' point. And furthermore, if only God is good, then what does that say about us? 
we must be not as good. To prove it, Jesus looks at this man and he, um, if you're following along, I won't list these, but he just lists the easiest of the 10 commandments. Things like honor your parents, don't steal, don't kill people. I actually went around our staff this week with this list that Jesus asked. Randomly, just went up to people and said, hey, answer this for me. I don't know if this was an HR violation or not. I think it was okay because they're actually just the words of Jesus. But I said, in the last 30 days, have you struggled with any of these three things? I'll just give it to you, right? Um, have you, um, I mean, some of these are actually kind of, kind of awkward. Uh, have you um, committed adultery, murdered, stolen anything from your boss maybe? Lied about it? Not honored your father or your mother? And it was that last one. It was that last one. A lot of people were like, uh, nope, check, check. Actually, everyone was, no, no, no. Here's a, here's a, a young, ruling, professional, asking Jesus a sincere question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, let's take the easiest of the commandments not to break. Have you, have you broken those? And the man, the man says, well, no, I've, I've actually, ever since I was a boy, I've never, I've never done any of those things. Almost as if he says, like, what else do you have for me? Like, what more must there be? Am I good? How good is good enough? And Jesus told him this. He, he, he haunted him with this. He said, Jesus hearing this said to him, you still lack one thing. Um, this is not a plug for the Enneagram. I could care less if you know the Enneagram or not. But this, this guy is an Enneagram one or is it Enneagram 3? That's the perfectionist or the performer. And if you're in Enneagram 1, and you hear someone tell you that you lack one thing, you will obsess until you get that thing perfectly. If you're a, a 3, you're, you're a performer, you're, you're an achiever, you will start to make mental plans on how you will knock this one thing out of the park next time you have a chance to do it. What is the one thing? This, is, this man is on his edge. He's going, all right, well, 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 I've done everything to get into the kingdom of God. What's the one thing that I need to do to inherit eternal life? And in the midst of all of this, Jesus tells him very simply this. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And let's pray and go home. <laughs> now, um, you know, this is, this, it, it, put that back up there. Let's leave it up there for a while. Let's let that haunt us for a second. This is kind of why many people don't go to church. Because you're like, ah, oh, here it is again. Pastor's going to tell me to give away all my money, give away all my stuff. And I want to like really quickly rush to help us understand that these are specific words spoken to a specific person in a specific context. That actually in the Ten Commandments, there is no such thing as a vow of poverty. Um, having possessions is not the problem. There, there's um, many times in the Bible where not leaving your kids an inheritance is considered to be immoral. 
And to not be a wise steward of your money is considered a sin. So the Bible has a lot to say about how you and I handle our possessions. Jesus is very specifically trying to touch the sensitive nerve in this one rich man's body. His heart was hoping that his wealth and his worship, I've done all the laws and I've accumulated all this stuff. I'm doing as best as I can. I'm very successful in the community. People like me, what did I do to get into the kingdom? And Jesus looks at this guy and he gives him an IEP. I don't know if you're familiar with education these days, but an IEP is an individualized education plan. If you, you know, this is the way that we are trying to help um, tailor education to students a little bit more specifically in our schools these days. Jesus says, hey, your IEP is really simple. You've tried life with everything. Now, try life with nothing. You've tried living as if you could get everything your heart desired. For you to take that next step and actually enter into the kingdom, all you have to do is give it all up and try living empty-handed. And then, come and be with me. I wonder if Jesus was asking you to do this, how you would respond. I know that I would probably scratch my head and go, do I have to? Because I've worked really hard. I kind of like where I'm at. And I, secretly, I'd be saying, what would happen to me next? So much of my life is built upon making sure that whatever happens to me next doesn't kill me. So much of what my life is is making sure that I'm responsible for the people that I'm responsible for. So much of my life is making sure that I have taken care of the business of my life in a way that more people can flourish. And if I have nothing, how would more people flourish? This man's re response is really telling. Luke records this. He says, when he heard this, he became, say these words with me, very sad because he was very wealthy. I um, learned something this week. Whenever I talk about the Bible, I always want to make sure I get a lot of it right. You know, I'm, I don't know that I get everything right, but I want to get a lot of it right. And I learned that you and I have actually probably seen the, the Greek word that's behind how we translate very sad. We've seen that before. It, it actually, it pops up in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was sweating drops of blood, he looks at his disciples and he says, my soul is, we, we see it there, it says it's overwhelmed to the point of death is what Jesus says. When this man heard this, he became overwhelmed to the point of death because he was very wealthy. This man, has a panic attack. His breath is taken away. He goes, you, you, want, you want me to do what? Okay, you're not really with me right now, but I can get you there. Have you ever been out of your house only to realize that you had left your phone in your house? 
This, doesn't, this is really impossible to happen these days because so many of us are so connected. It's like a third arm of our lives. This rarely happens anymore. You don't go anywhere where you don't know your phone is. And if you don't have your phone, you at least have like some sort of smartwatch or something. But, but imagine you're foolish and you left your phone somewhere. Whenever this phenomenon happens, we almost always use this phrase that I feel naked without it. Isn't that funny? We, all, all, we almost all use this phrase like, oh, I can't believe I don't have my phone. I feel vulnerable without it. And what you're saying is I have an attachment to a particular thing that provides for me. It gives me comfort and safety and security. I can pay for things. I can call for help. I can feel distracted. I can get places. I can take pictures and never miss the important moments. You're saying this, without my phone, what am I? Where am I? And who am I? Without my phone, how will I ever survive? And some of us hyperventilate, <laughs> right? Don't nudge your spouse. All of us cognitively know that we are capable of living apart from a device. You know in your head that, yes, if my phone is trapped on my kitchen table without my accessing it, that I will still be able to breathe in the next couple of hours and that it'll be there for me when I get home. But those hours feel like torture, don't they? Because you know something incredible is gonna happen that you need to snap a picture of or, or you know you're gonna get a flat tire and not even know where to start. All right, so this is starting to get to the level that Jesus is working on in this man's life. This ruler had created a world in which religious performance, achievement at work, upward mobility, they were critical to his identity. Without these things, who am I? What am I? Where am I? How will I ever survive? His identity was wrapped up in his possessions and his positions. And Jesus was asking him to kill everything that was keeping him alive. Why? Well, because Jesus was giving this bottom line kind of man a bottom line kind of solution to cut to the heart of his life. In one sense, Jesus' teaching on this lesson is a lesson that all of us need to hear. Here's one possible lesson that exists here in Luke's, Luke's account, that owning everything can be its own form of suffering. I don't know if you know this to be true or not, but there is a bottomless pit that exists when we try and contain the whole entire world in our arms. So many of us chase owning the things that our hearts desire only to find out that there's just more things that our heart will desire. This man had, had high hopes on the fact that he'd made it despite the ache in his stomach that there was something more to do to earn God's favor, to justify his life. He was like Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes who, who, who tried everything, denied himself nothing and, he, and only found that owning everything was just like, here's what Solomon says, it's like owning what's on the inside of a soap bubble. Vanity. That's what the word vanity means. It means owning what's on the inside of a soap bubble. It's, it's the this, this shell of an illusion, of a dream. All the money and success in the world will not satisfy us. Actually, it can be dishearteningly empty. When Jesus um, turned to the man, 
And Mark and Matthew, the, the other people who write about Jesus' life, they also write about this exact exchange. They write almost identical to what Luke says. They have this one detail where the man puts his head down and he kind of does the Charlie Brown shuffle away. Luke says that Jesus actually, the man stays and Jesus looks at him. And he says how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Am I right? I mean, come on. You're like, I don't understand that. I'll get there in a moment. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a, someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Um, this is one of the most enigmatic statements of Jesus. It's like Yogi Berra theology. And I, I feel like I, the best thing to do is just to show you what this would look like. So here's a picture of what Jesus is saying. Um, best attempts to help you understand the Bible right here. Um, this is a camel, two humps. Don't know what that means. This is a needle. Everyone know where the eye of the needle is? Not here, but up there. Everybody say, oh. Okay, not the scale, just in case you're confused. Um, why the camel? Why, why the eye of a needle? This was about rich people and the kingdom of God and Jesus references a luggage hauling animal and a thread sewing needle. Why? Well, um, actually it's, it's, it's just a great reason. Uh, camels back in Jesus' day were kind of like semi-trucks. If there was an Amazon, they would have a lot of camels. Their camels would eat um, organic grass <laughs> and move at the speed of light. Camels were how you would get your merchandise from one region of the world to another. The camels were the most sturdy animal. You could, you could go long distances with them, and so they were the preferred means of transportation. They were like, it was UPS. It was, it was the way that you would get things from A to B reliably. Merchants would have fleets of camels. Um, you, you would have camels. These were just things that you would have. Some of you own semi-truck trailers or semi-haulers. You have big rigs. You, in the ancient days, you had camels. You're a camel dude. All right, this is, you hop into that big rig next time and just call it a camel. Because that's what this was. There's also um, a place in Jerusalem, there's a gate where all of the outside trading could come in. It was, it was called the Camel's Gate. And it was called the Camel's Gate, surprisingly, not surprisingly, because you would hitch up your camel outside this gate. And I don't know if it was for lack of foresight or planning or just for cleanliness purposes, but the gate was sized in such a way that camels <laughs> couldn't get in. It would almost be as if in like 550 years, all of us are driving semi-trucks. I don't know, just go there with me, but all of us are driving, like your daily driver is a semi-truck. You, you just go into Starbucks in your semi-truck and that's what you own. All of us own semi-trucks. But your house was built with a two-car garage and you would have to back up your semi-truck every day. Jesus is essentially saying it's easier to park a semi in your garage than for a rich person to get into heaven. He says it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of the needle. That's probably the gate that Jesus would have seen camels um, pull up to than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. What would have to happen for a person to use the camel's gate? A merchant would have to come back from their trip with all of their things bags loaded up on this, this big animal. They would have to dismount. They'd have to hitch the thing up. 
And then one by one, they would have to unpack their camel and carry through the gate into its destination. After all of this was done, the camel even then would, would still be too large for the gate and would have to stay outside. Jesus is telling him, bro, you're really rich. You're really successful. The problem with you is you got a lot of camels. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you got to unpack the camel. You're going to have to do way more work to unload your burden than someone who doesn't have any camels at all. Our burdens, our baggage, the things that we think this life is made of. What Jesus is saying is that they don't serve our souls in its final destination. They actually can work against us. Our hearts can be so drawn to the material nature of our lives that we neglect the immaterial nature of our souls. I'll say that again. Our hearts can be so drawn to the material nature of our lives that our, our souls neglect its immaterial nature. I think this might be what the ancient Hebrew poets meant when they said some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but followers of God trust just in the name of our Lord. The material weapons of war time and time again were found to be powerless against the people of God who called simply on the immaterial name of God. Why did God ask Gideon? You remember the story of Gideon? He's got a whole army and God says, get rid of most of it. Why? To make sure that Gideon and the world knew that God could be counted on by just his name alone. Because sometimes we can be attached to the material things and mistake them for divine things. This man was attached to the stuff of life. He wasn't attached to the source of his life. And it caused him to suffer. It was too much for him to give everything up, to unpack his bags, to, to unburden his life. He fundamentally didn't believe that Jesus was enough for him. And so his life truly did consist just in the abundance of his possessions. Friends, this is a warning for, I think, all of us. The good life does not come through the hoarding of our goods. Said it another way, possessions are not bad provided they do not possess us. How do you know if you're just like this man? Well, there's a really simple test. God gives us this test. Jesus asks it. He, he says this. If it's not that big of a deal to you, just give it away. If God asked you to give your stuff away, what would you have a hard time giving away? I um, deleted this from my notes, but I feel like a moment of personal disclosure would be helpful. I, I have moments of life in, this, in, in my own life, moments of just holding on to a thing so tightly. I've realized no matter how um, junky the car is that I purchase, and I bought some real clunkers in my day, no matter how high end or low end it is. When I drive that car home, 
there's this thing inside of me that doesn't ever want to give my wife the keys. <laughs> That's just my own heart for your disclosure. It's not that I don't trust her. She's a better driver than I am. It's not that her name's not on the title. It is. But there's just this thing that I have in me that likes four wheels <laughs> and likes to know, like, this is, gonna, this is, this is mine. I get to drive this around. I get to, this is going to take me places. I'm going to sip coffee and this is stoplights and crank my music. Kristen has learned whenever I bring a car home to just look for the keys herself. Because in the beginning of our marriage, it was like, okay, cool, can I have the keys? And I would start making excuses and be like, well, it's so dark outside. You don't want to drive when it's dark. Or like, oh, we don't have enough time. You really want to take this one for the full experience. Just wait a little bit longer. Listen, if, if I have a problem looking the woman who I once stood in front of at an altar and said, in sickness and health, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. If I have a problem giving her the keys to the car that she also owns, would I ever give that thing away to you? The answer is? All right, glad we're settled on that. If I ever buy a truck, no, you can't borrow it. <laughs> I mean, that's just how, that's how it plays for me. For me, um, shiny cars can be a little bit of a problem. I don't know what it is with you. What do you hold your fists on? What, what do you make excuses when it's required of you to give it up? What, what are you struggling in your life to let go of? Here's, here's um, what Jesus is saying. He says, deal with the stuff and then come follow me. And the man just sighs. And we learn this lesson from, from this. Is that anything that keeps us from God is not good. See, the good life has got to be a life in which anything that we have is just available to God to be used for him. But anything that gets in the way of us coming to God has to be something that we see as a problem in our lives. Jesus invited this man on the adventure of finding nothing at the end of having everything, but he couldn't give it up. I want to say it this way, whatever we cannot give up at the request of God has been put in the place of God. Whatever we cannot give up at God's request has become to us a God in itself. And Jesus is asking him just the, the smart way that only Jesus could. Jesus is saying, would you willingly sacrifice what you consider to be your life because I have a better life ahead for you. And this sounds crazy to the disciples, just like it kind of sounds crazy to us. And they, they look at Jesus, they say, well, if this is what it takes is for someone to give up their very life, who then can be saved? The question is really, why would anybody want to do this? Why would anyone have the motivation to give up their safety net? If this guy's being asked to surrender all that he's accomplished on his own, why would anyone do that? Why would anyone give their... Keys to their house to the homeless person who's begging on the side of the road. Who, who would make this trade, Jesus? What hope is there for anyone? And what Jesus says is another iconic statement. He, he replies, what is impossible with man, which is in itself an interesting statement because it's almost as if Jesus is saying, yes, this is impossible with man. He says, but it's possible 
with God. How? Well, this is where we get to the good news, where the resurrection of Jesus informs how we read this passage. This is the good news that our good lives need. It's the good news that God is for us and has made it possible for us to live the life our hearts long for. Friends, you have to leave church today knowing that it is possible for you to embrace the entirety of the good life that God has available for you. That's the good news that I'm coming shouting about today. Jesus has shown that only God is good and no matter how good or rich we all are, one thing is needed, a rejection of ourselves and an embrace of total dependence upon God for life. Without this, nobody will be saved. But because Jesus was God and lived the good life, he kept the commandments of God perfectly. And because Jesus did what none of us would dare to do, which is to willingly give up the very thing that gave him life in the first place. He gave it away. He did this, giving up his breath on the cross. And his radical obedience to his father, it cost him greatly, but it was also the way that he gained everything. You know, at the end of the story, um, the end of the story, Jesus rises to his disciples and he, he looks at them and he says, literally, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The way that Jesus got his resurrected life was by giving up his lesser life, by obeying his father. And today, the, the week after Easter, we remember that since he's resurrected in his power, all things are possible. Easter is the day where we remember that anything is possible with our God, including life after death. Said another way, nothing is impossible. God's grace inspires us to trust him fully and to follow him and find in him. Everything that we've ever wanted in the first place is ours because Jesus himself is the good life. What is impossible with man is possible only because God came as a man. And so what happens when you give up everything you have to follow Jesus? Peter, one of the disciples, kind of clicks for him. He's like, wait a minute, Jesus. We've done the stuff that you've said to this guy he should do. What about us, right? Peter says, we've left all we've had to follow you. It's been a real wild ride, Jesus. What about us? And I love that, that Jesus looks at Peter and he doesn't scold him for being selfish. He doesn't say, yeah, but Peter, one thing you lack. He, he simply says this. Look at, look at what Jesus says next. He says, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age. In this age, today, and in the age to come, eternal life. There is an incredible promise that's at play here. The good life that we get from Jesus starts now and it goes on into a good life in the future. This is a, Astonishing reality for those of us who live in a land of relative affluence, who have built our lives with our own two hands. Um, this is our motto. It's simply this. Hard work pays off. 
True or false? Hard work pays off. I'm giving a thumbs up on that one. It's not a trick question. I know it feels like a trick question. Hard work pays off. You, you want to um, be diligent in life? That's, that's the way. Proverbs says that, that the diligence of an ant is its success. That we are to be people who are diligent people. Hard work pays off. But Jesus says this model will get, get you all mixed up if you think that hard work gets you eternal life. Jesus looks at all of us and says what's impossible with man is possible with God only because of this. Because my work pays off is what Jesus says. You and I have all been trained to think about our lives in the sense of our own hard work is what's going to get us. The, the, the premise of the question is what must I do? to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, don't, don't you see it now? Jesus says, you do nothing. Go have nothing and go do nothing. Because only my work, my dying on the cross for you, my giving up of that which gave me life, my rising from the dead, only in me can you have eternal life life. The rich ruler believed he would do the work. But Jesus says, get, where, get rid of whatever it is you're trusting in and come trust in my work. There's a really simple bottom line to this. It's not original to me. I don't remember who said this first. There's a guy named Tully Intervision who wrote a book um, with this title, but he stole it from somebody else too and didn't credit them. So I'm not sure who to credit in this moment, but I credited the guy who didn't credit the guy. <laughs> so I'm covered. You don't, you know this isn't, but here's, here's the equation. Is that in life, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I don't know where you're at today, what camels are existing in your life that are loaded down with things, loaded down with relationships, loaded down with real estate, loaded down with commitments, loaded down with empty promises, loaded down with pain and regret and remorse. I don't know where you are today harboring the things that think, you think give you life. I talked to one person about this message this week who said, you know, for the longest time, I thought Jesus plus my resentment would equal my satisfaction. And I've realized that Jesus wants me to give up even my resentment of the people who have hurt me. I don't know what it is that you're lugging around this life that if Jesus was here today to, 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 to give you an IEP and say, you lack one thing. I don't know what it is. It might be that you've put your trust in stuff. It might be you've put your trust in your spouse. It might be that you've put your stuff in your career or your, your trust in your career. But whatever it is, Jesus wants us to realize that the only thing we need to get everything is him. It's him alone. That our lives are never safe unless we are safely in the place of giving up our self-sufficiency. You have everything you need if you only have Jesus. I am... Um, I went to a school outside of Chicago for seminary. It was a school that um, had a long history of raising up missionaries and sending them out. And if you ever went to the school, you heard the stories of famed missionaries who, who had graduated from the school back in the 1940s and 1950s. 
It was, their, their names were Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Nate Saint and his wife and a couple others. They um, were young people who felt this calling of God to give up everything in their life. To, they, uh, they were from the, the Chicago area and the Portland area. They're, they're young kids of relative affluence who were really well-funded. One of them was a pilot in the late 1940s who had access to his own plane. That kind of tells you the type of wealth that he was dealing with. And they decided to take the plane down to Ecuador and to use it to fly in and to meet people who had never met Jesus before. I actually think that Nate Saint and Jim Elliott would have been Heartlanders back in the 80s if they were alive because they had the heartbeat that existed for those who had yet to hear about the message of Jesus. And they wanted to make sure that they didn't put any obstacles in the way of people meeting Jesus. So they took their very lives and they packed up their belongings and the, the Jim, uh, Elliot and his wife, Elizabeth, Betty, he called her, they, they got married and they flew down and, and they started their life together. And it wasn't but a couple weeks into their journey in Ecuador where Jim and Nate, made first contact with the people they were trying to, to tell Jesus about. And during this first greeting between these young people and the people in this remote village, the people turned against the men and killed them. Uh, Time Magazine, you can find this online, wrote a 10-page article about these young people. They called it, um, Go ye and preach the gospel, five do and die. It was a 10 page, full pictures, full testimonies about what happened amongst these people. It's the words of Jim Elliot that ring true to me in what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 18 for all of us. So the words today is I just wanna put these on the screen as a, as a means of a benediction for us, as a way for us to remember that Jesus deserves our everything. And in giving him everything, we get everything. We get the good life. We get the life that our soul longs for. And so uh, here's Jim's quote right here. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose.